Okay, we're here with Ali Dallas at the COP26 with the Highland Healthcare for Climate Action. I'm a GP in Inverness, very passionate about um, making a difference in the climate crisis. Climate crisis definitely will lead to significant health issues the world over. And I think it's our responsibility as doctors to use our voice. Ali Dallas, thank you so much. Hi, my name's Rosie Spooner. I'm a paediatric registrar and I work at Gloucester Hospitals in Gloucestershire. And my message today is that we need to tackle the causes of climate change to protect human health for the future. Hey, my name is Dr. Leslie Morris and I'm a member of MedAct. The climate crisis is a health crisis. We managed to get people to stop smoking 40 years ago. We now need to manage to stop people using fossil fuels. They're dangerous to our health and they're dangerous to the planet. Hi, my name is Rita, I'm a GP and I'm here because the health impacts of climate change are going to disproportionately impact people around the world and we have to call for health justice through all policies. Hello, we're here at the COP26 meeting at the health block and I'm interviewing... My name's Christine, I'm a GP from Montrose in Scotland. I'm here for climate change and I'm here to spread the word and I need to keep doing that as a doctor and as an individual of this planet. Hi, my name is Max. Uh, so I'm here because, well, everybody should be right now. <laughs> Hello, my name is Dr. Sean Owens. I'm a GP based in County Loud and I'm here in Glasgow, Edinburgh for COP26 representing Irish Doctors for the Environment. I'm here with four other colleagues and we've been on the uh, Friday for Future March today and uh, meeting other uh, activists and media presence and meeting up with other uh, healthcare advocates from around, uh, around the world. However, we haven't had the time for a number of constraints to put policy holders to account and I'm very pleased to be joined today uh, with Mr. Ian Lumley, who is an advocacy officer with Antoshka, who has been here doing what I consider the hard yards. Uh, he's here for this week and next week to uh, hold those in power to account. Ian, so glad you can join me here in Georgia Square in Edinburgh. I'm right in the middle. Can you hear bagpipes in the background to give a bit of atmosphere? <laughs> I'm sure you're wiped. You've been at the Blue Zone today, was it? And I've been at these United Nations, they're called the COP, the Conference of Parties, climate conferences, since the breakthrough Paris Agreement in 2015. And there was great optimism uh, at, at, at that time that there was going to be a new momentum for climate action. But since then, the whole system has been bogged down in something called the rule book. And you'd have to be a technical expert to follow. Uh, is all the talk at the moment is about... Uh, the how individual governments in developed countries, particularly or high emission countries, uh, account for their emissions and whether the total amount is going to add up to the amount that the atmosphere can absorb uh, to maintain the the world at a not much more than 2.5 degrees. And then there's the whole issue of loss and dam damage. It's called loss and damage uh, compensation to the developing countries. So that's what's going on in the main negotiations and it's very worrying because right before COP started you had the G20, uh, the 20 largest economies meeting in Rome and Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, uh, was quite open in saying that he was disappointed at the lack of clear commitments uh, 
and leadership that was shown at that G, at that at that G20 because those are for all the leading countries, uh, yeah, U, so US, China, yeah. Russia, uh, uh, and India, and uh, Brazil, and all of those developing countries. Uh, have their own agendas and they're yeah. saying to the older industrialized western countries Europe and North America saying you know you've you've built up to a certain level of development and now you know we need to be given a chance and we don't want to face the burden of 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 re, you know of emission cuts that are going to impede our growing economies uh, so that's the big long log jam that's going on at the moment so with, that's a really good point. You know, so what you sure mentioned it. What what is COP? Uh, this isn't your first one, and, and this is of course the most uh, the one that's drawn most attention. But what, if you could say to a lay person, what what, what is COP? What, what what would you describe it as? Well, COP is multi multi layered. I mean, it, it's it's happening because of these negotiations, which are at national government level, uh, and uh, interestingly, the EU. Uh, you, uh, operates with a joint negotiating um, 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 a position, so the EU uh, takes a, a, a common position. But within the EU, of course, there's enormous divergence. Uh, with um, uh, Poland defending its coal industry and not advancing any realistic targets for exiting from from coal, because they don't be dependent on Russian gas. If you were Poland, would you want to be? Yeah. And then. Um, I was at a presentation yesterday with the Polish energy minister talking about building nuclear in Poland uh, on a large scale, but the planning of a nuclear plant and its commissioning is a 10 to 15 euro year process, and that brings its own concerns. But I was at other presentations showing how other technologies uh, are dramatically decreasing in cost, including solar voltaic. Mm, yeah. because of the rapid uh, scaling and the, the particular problem in Ireland is that, and indeed Britain uh, is a country say they are signing up to this to the 2050 climate neutrality target, but you look at the small print and there's opt-outs there's offsetting so we'll continue polluting but we'll contribute to some say, contributing to solar development in cities in Africa Yes, uh, and that's called offsetting that's really very dodgy and the, the you know most of the more progressive NGOs and myself personally simply don't agree with that that's what the, why Martin Luther had the reformation and walked out on on the <laughs> nail to thesis and said this whole selling of indulgences is is, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, is just immoral because it allows continued sin and then repentance by by being able to, to buy out and Ireland is playing the same game on agriculture. Our biggest emitting sector is agriculture. We have a lot of problems with energy, of course, and our car dependence also. But on agriculture, we're, we're, we're saying one thing, but coming up with these very unrealistic claims that the emissions from agriculture, which rose again last year, according to our EPA data, 1.4% increase, uh, just reported literally last month, uh, the, when the 2020 figures came out in the previous year, uh, and the dairy herd is increasing, uh, and all the other impacts on ag agriculture. Um, the big themes that I'm pursuing in what's called the side events, so the main negotiations going on, and you'll want to be an expert to follow those, uh, given there's loads of other people doing that, I instead get involved uh, in the side events 
in the government um, uh, pavilions yes. um, and uh, at COP at the moment uh, there is some really good stuff going on uh, the World Health Organization has an excellent pavilion the world's leading medical professionals will be there um, all sorts of um, really good people talking about how hospitals could be more efficiently uh, run in terms of energy and waste. Uh, um, well, that's a good question. Do you think there's been enough of a presence of the word health uh, at COP? No. Um, and this goes back years now. I remember in Paris, I met a really good organisation based in Brussels called HEAL, uh, Health and the, and, the, and, 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 and the Environment. Because all of the actions, are particularly on in urban areas, um, for climate, and we, we're in Glasgow here. Glasgow has horrendous uh, uh, traffic pollution problems, as indeed does Dublin. You know, and we think our European cities are bad. I mean, Africa and Asian, some South American cities are really bad and very identifiable morbidity and premature mm. premature death rates. Yes. Uh, very difficult to communicate. It's not that people die from from pollution, but it's it's just people with uh, asthmatic conditions, children and older people are you know suffer more miserably because of that, and then their premature deaths. So we're trying to communicate that, but it's not you know there's not a lot of it there. And then on the on the food stuff to communicate um, uh, moving to a more plant based diet. So the United Nations Environment Programme 20 years ago has said that the world needs to more plant based diet. Uh, we had in early 2019 what was really the impressive Eat Lancet report, from a, which came from a, a very wide section of peer-reviewed input. There was a relatively, there was a relatively small number of people involved, uh, only, only about you know, 30-something, but there was hundreds of other scientists and researchers and medical professionals feeding into it, and there was a very clear message that for multiple reasons, for health benefit, for uh, reducing the footprint of animal agriculture in particular on land, that we need to move globally to a more plant-based diet, uh, particularly in the high meat-consuming uh, uh, United States and, yeah, and European countries and some of the South American uh, countries. And we need to be eating more uh, legumes, lentil-type lentil type, uh, dishes, nuts and other protein, which has much less land and environmental footprint um, in its cultivation. Though I, I need to put in some qualifications, you need to be careful at the same time um, that you can't just look at climate, you've got to look at water use. So almond cultivation for almond milk in California is quite is very problematic because of the amount of water it uses. And then you have the chilling in avocado problem. Uh, where large-scale industrial avocado plantations for our fat for avocados. We should be growing more local products. Let's look at Ireland. We were major apple growers in the past. You know, my family background is in Kenneville Kenny. All my, all my, my old, the older generation of my family, they all had orchards uh, beside their houses. They're gone now. Well, I'm glad you went to apples because I was afraid you were going to take umbrage with coffee. I think for <laughs> everyone's interest, we should just leave coffee as it is. Uh, maybe we'll come to that. Well, we have those fair trade and ethical yeah, schemes for okay, coffee and yeah. chocolate. Uh, uh -huh. So it's very important that these yeah. schemes aren't, and we've had a lot of discussion about this, and that's why what we're doing in Ireland with our Board BIA scheme is such a sham.
So it's very important that we do have schemes uh, for sustainable, for, you know, for auditing of energy, of cars, of, of food, of coffee, of chocolate, of, of any international traded product should be subject to uh, an independently adjudicated and audited reporting system that's credible, you can have confidence in. So we're doing the opposite in Ireland. Our Irish Food Marketing Board and Board BIA, which is uh, really the creature of the industrial uh, meat and agriculture industry, uh, dairy industries. You're talking about the Goodman Group and the big meat producers and you're talking about the big dairy processes yeah. in Ireland, which are less and less Irish. Kerry Group is now affiliated with the big US meat company Pilgrim and Lambia is very much linked in with the German-based uh, um, Danone uh, milk product uh, company. And these are multinationals that are going beyond... Yeah. You know, these companies originated in individual countries, but they now have they now have turnovers bigger than many smaller countries globally and they are massive lobbying forces in their own right and that's very obvious within within COP. So what's going on is that this yeah. Origin Green standard is a sham. We've asked for it to be scrapped but we have a nightmare that the World Wildlife Fund for Nature with the Panda logo which everybody you know uh, respects and their work is well regarded in, in conservation uh, in pandas and other national parks areas across the world uh, but on the U.S. side in particular, they've been captured by big business, and they've, you know, they've come into Ireland, supported this board via accreditation without any contact with the Irish NGOs, and it's not based on any international credible certification. It's just a making up green label that has no real yeah, basis. Sounds familiar from um, uh, some of the issues around uh, the Seaspiracy documentary that there was labels handed out for sustainability that really couldn't be um, validated. I mean, I think the debate most people will be familiar with is the small landholder um, with a few livestock debating the ethical vegan. But you're saying it's a little bit more nuanced than that and there's a international credible you know, uh, evidence base saying that we need to move this direction. Um, not eradicate animal agriculture, but uh, to maybe improve food security, maybe improve um, uh, the diversity of, uh, of what we grow for pressures on the waterways and air and so forth. It's 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 a little bit more nuanced. Is that right? Uh, definitely more 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 nuanced. Uh, uh, now there are clearly you know advocates and opinions. Dairy. I was with a group earlier today who took a very strong we need to exit from animal agriculture. There's others, there's a 20, uh, there's a 50 40 group say we, you know, half the impact of animal agriculture. But the United Nations itself is, you know, the, in its own agencies is very strong and they need to reduce the impact of animal agriculture and more plant based food. So I think that's a more comfortable way of bringing more people with us. Yeah. Uh, and then we can say, no, I, I don't own a car, I refuse to own a car. I, I've been very pleased to get involved in a rural project in Ireland now with this public transport. Uh, I, I've, I refuse to fly. I've been going to climate conferences for years without flying. And I've taken the whole vegan path myself, which has been tough to give up uh, cheese. So, you know, that should be very much at the forefront of, 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 of advocacy. But the agricultural system, we really have to radically move away from the current model of industrial beef and dairy. And there is a place for uh, less intensive, organic, extensive um, grazing. Uh, 
and 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 and, and production, but that's not going to feed cities of twenty million people. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a more. It's 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 simply we need to think of a situation where. Um, and we need to look at equity also, it's quite a tough one and I've been involved hugely in debates in that with you know with with, with people from all 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 over all over the world. Um, but there's a very interesting um, French historian um, one of the major figures in the history of uh, culture and food called Fernand Bradel. And uh, he wrote about the history of civilizations and he said when I look at the success of an army or a battle, I asked first, what do they eat? And he came across fascinating stuff, like the between the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century and the big battles during the Napoleonic period, armies increased by about tenfold. And historically, armies had to raid their food from the surrounding countryside, mm -hmm. stealing people's crops and animals. And what usually happened is that in advance of an invading army, the, the people would kill their animals that they couldn't bring them with them and burn their crops in order, in order to deprive the invading army of food. But it was the potato that made those big armies possible in the, from the late 18th and the early 19th century. This is something. And Burdell then looked at the great civilizations, um, and these were plant-based farming civilizations. We, we know well the, you know, the pyramid-building Egyptians in the, in the Nile, where the annual inundation of the of the floodwaters revived the soil and allowed crop growing. But equally, the great civilizations of the Chinese river basins, of the Indus Valley, and the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, those civilizations and those were built on plant-based food. And, you know, hunt, um, and it was the aristocracy and the elite then hunted you know, animals up in the, up oh, yes. in the hills. Um, but the domestication of animals is something that only happened in, in, in in you know in geographically parts of the world, but we've adopted a particular model uh, from Europe and then extended to North America of this very high uh, animal and uh, uh, and milk protein based diet that yeah. is really just uh, a product of historical accident, um, uh, and that. As Brodell very well pointed out, that most of the world, for most of history, most of the major population civilizations, have had a largely plant-based diet. So that's a nice actual segue into um, how we can maybe look back to, to learn going forward. And of course, our indigenous populations have lived in harmony with their environment for countless generations. And inside three, perhaps four, we've managed to set the whole thing on fire. Um, do you think indigenous populations have been represented here at COP uh, in your experience of the various blue zones and green zones? Yeah, there's. I mean, I, I, I don't be. I, I might be accused of being controversial instead. I mean, I have met very moving presentations by indigenous uh, populations over the years. Uh, one of the most extraordinary was a few years ago, uh, where. Uh, we had a forum through the International Trust Organization of Islanders who were affected by increased storm surges and uh, and and sea level uh, rise, and you'd almost be in tears listening to these people. Uh, they had their ancestral graveyards by the seashore. There were traditional reasons for this, and we were been shown footage, literally, of graves not just of people from the 19th century, um, but literally people's graves 
um, whom living people, you know, of you know, parents and grandparents of people who are still living, being oh. swept into sea. Mm-hmm. And then we had, you know, you look at the traditional villages in those areas, which are organic and which are, um, which were developed to. Um, some of these islands are very fertile, and they can, um, uh, in their soil, the volcanic origin islands, for instance, and uh, with. Um, and to see the rising sea levels, the salt uh, affecting the water table and affecting their crops, uh, and then people having to relocate, and they're going from their, you know, their traditional plots that they have um, inherited in their family for centuries into this new sort of tin hut um, settlement on the mainland somewhere. So these stories are tragic and need to be told, yes. and they're just. You know, it's our lifestyles are you know are causing the impact that that is that these are the people at the at the at the frontier. It's Mary Robinson has been very good at at at, at communicating these. The impact on women and families uh, is is devastating. Well, that's what I wanted to relate this back because what you know, there's a lot of media attention now about COP26 in Ireland and uh, the UK and elsewhere around the world. Um, what learnings can we take? Uh, do we need to sustain the pressure? Do we need to keep advocating? Do you think this will be an inflection point? We must sustain the pressure, and if this be an inflection point, uh, we've seen it with. Um, I mean, the I have the privilege of being in Katowice in 2016, and it was it was the first appearance of Greta Thunberg um, uh, at a at a public uh, event outside Sweden, and there was a small audience. But once word got around, the audience started to double, and you know, she, through her just her absolute clear communication, uh, has been able to galvanise a new youth movement. And the ripple effect, really, uh, you know, those of us who are older uh, must be selfish, uh, because that's really what we have around us. We have a generation within the developed Western world, uh, and we're promoting a lifestyle. Uh, a, you know, a car-based, consuming uh, lifestyle that simply can't be sustained. I remember, you know, the first thing that Greta said at that press conference, where I heard her for the first time, is, you know, we just can't keep driving around, shopping, and consuming the way we are. We yeah. have to wake up to that message. Yeah. But let's promote a more positive. Let's not make it a negative one. Let's go back. And let's say that we, we, you know, reconnect with nature with our own communities uh, and uh, let's care for each other and future generations and for the nature systems that sustain us and you don't have to be of orthodox religious belief that's been communicated very well by Pope Francis, by the Dalai Lama uh, Pope Francis through his communication uh, very much inspired by Francis of Assisi uh, who's the patron saint of the environment uh, on Laudatus Sea, praise be, and caring for the earth. Um, and it's, people would be interested to know that the, the the president of Antashka, the National Trust for Ireland, is in fact a Colombian missionary, uh, Father Sean McDonough, uh, who's worked extensively in the Philippines as his, uh, as the Colombians continue to do, and they deal with um, uh, now with the you know they have become a, a religious order environmental activists uh, 
more than any environmental organization and the message that i am communicating more as i get older is an ethical one yes um, yeah that we have a responsibility ethically uh, both nationally uh, as communities and individuals and uh, and that is why you know our whole business and corporate model is so problematic uh, we must bring about a situation that major whether they're national and we have very problematic beef and dairy companies in Ireland uh, uh, and globally and energy and car companies you know that we must stop allowing their very powerful and well-resourced lobby to determine the agenda because they are pursuing a very narrow selfish short-term interest yeah. that is even not in their own long-term interest which is very, which is very strange and that we must stop that you know the, the capture they have uh, of advertising of of media of public policy well they're, they're very much goliath and if there's a david it must be on Tosca. irish doctors in the environment really congratulate you for all of your advocacy it would seem thankless uh, but on you go and i think change is so many faces but you will be holding many people to account for the next two weeks through many dry technical presentations and on you go and this isn't your first cop, it won't be your last. Um, just a bath of Irish Doctors Environment. Thank you, Antoshka, and thank you, Ian. I really appreciate and it. Wait to be with you. I'd very much like to see uh, nurses for the environment being equally involved in, 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 in what you're doing with the with, with, with also. Yes, many thanks, Ian, for the future. Thanks.